Welcome to Dayspring Fellowship. Whether you're in the room live, watching online or later on demand, or even listening to our podcast, it's a great day to be at Dayspring. If you are visiting Dayspring today, we want you to know that this is the kind of church where you get to be you. There's no need to pretend that everything's perfect in your life. It's certainly not in ours. We are regular people on a journey, allowing Jesus to make something beautiful out of our broken and often messy lives. One little step at a time, learning to live like Jesus. I'm Chris Voigt, and I lead the team here at Dayspring. That team is made up of people committed to helping you grow. We love to challenge, encourage, and equip people to become more like Jesus. So if you're on that journey too, we're looking forward to lending a hand. Even if you aren't sure that you want to be on that journey with us, maybe you are skeptical about the claims of Jesus or skeptical of his followers. Well, this is still a great place, a safe place to explore and ask questions as you look for answers. We're asking questions and looking for answers too, so I think we can be pretty good company on your journey. So welcome. You can learn more about us as a church by exploring our website at dsf.church by checking out our Facebook page or contacting us by phone or email. If you need help figuring out the next step to making Dayspring your home church, or if you just have questions, let us know. We'll help you find the answers. For today's service, you can find a discussion guide by selecting Watch from the top menu of our website. And now, let's join our service. Have you ever had one of those circumstances, and I'm asking this rhetorically, I know you have, where in the middle of the circumstance, the moment that it's happening, you recognize in that moment that this moment is going to be with you for the rest of your life. You're going to remember it for the rest of your life because it's a precious moment in time. For me, one of those moments, one of the most powerful moments in my life in that way was um, in a hospital waiting room with my grandpa. My grandmother was in pretty poor shape. She was down the room in a, in a hospital room. And my grandfather sat with me and my uncles and several of our, our family members around this table and just shared stories about his life and my grandma's life. He shared some amazing stories that I had never heard before. He told me that when he was young, my great-grandpa, his dad, was actually a prize fighter. It was amazing to me because I'm not a very large man. My grandpa was even smaller than I am. So I'm just thinking like, wow, this guy was a prize fighter? Like, he must have been a small person. But regardless, he was a prize fighter. And my grandfather continued on and told us that one day, my grandpa, who was not a believer, went to church on an evening service with my great-grandma. And when he went to church with her, his life changed forever. God got a hold of his heart in that moment. And as my grandpa would tell it, it's overnight. It's, it's, it's instantaneously. He turns from a prize fighter to an itinerant preacher. My grandfather remembered that he would make sandwiches and go out to the farm fields with my great-grandpa when my great-grandpa would pe- preach to the farm workers. And they would use the, the sandwiches to gain the attention of these, these farm laborers during this short lunch break that they had. He went on and he told us many different things about his time serving in the Navy, about the circumstances around um, how he and my grandmother came to be married, about his call to ministry and eventually becoming a pastor, and all of the things that my, my grandmother and my grandfather did together. It was a really precious time, and I knew in that moment I wanted to just preserve all of those memories in my head because 
they're just phenomenal family history. So years later, we asked my grandfather to write down um, his, his memories for us in a book. And when my grandfather passed away in 2013, that book of his memories became this precious family heirloom. It reminded and continues to remind us of who we are, where we come from, and the work that God has done in our lives and in the, family, in the lives of my family members throughout the generations. You see, it's that conversion of my great-grandfather from a prize fighter to a preacher that set God's work forward in generation after generation after generation, eventually reaching my heart as well. So today, we're looking at something similar. We're looking at First and Second Peter, and it's in these letters, very similarly to that book that my, has my grandfather's memories, in these letters, we're going to see Peter's memories, Peter's faith, Peter's experiences as well. And it's, it's so similar, in fact, that Peter writes, I think, with a similar goal. He's writing to encourage believers, and he's writing to teach those believers who they are, where they come from, and what their family history is all about as children of God. Amen? So without further ado, let's dive straight in because we have a lot to cover today. And um, I used 10 font and still ended up with 15 pages. So we're, we need to move. <laughs> so turn to 1 Peter and we'll start reading in verse 1, shall we? 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. This letter is from Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. I'm writing to God's chosen people who are living as foreigners in the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. God the Father knew you and chose you long ago, and his spirit has made you holy. As a result, you have obeyed him and have become cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. May God give you more and more grace and peace. Peter begins right away with just reminding them who they are and who he is. And in that process of reminding them who he is and who they are, he, he describes their identity. But maybe you're sitting here kind of going, who the heck is Peter? Maybe you don't know Peter. Maybe you don't understand this whole Bible stuff and Jesus stuff and all that's kind of new to you. So maybe you, you don't know it. Regardless of whether you know it or not, we're going to go through it. So let's step into the history books, into our history class, and let's meet Peter and, and look at his life, because he has a phenomenal life of ministry and of failure and of victory that is, is it's incredible. We first meet Peter as, by the name of Simon in John 1, where his brother Andrew introduces him to Jesus. Now, um, Jesus immediately in this first introduction gives Peter the name Cephas, and Cephas is an Aramaic name meaning rock or stone. Now, uh, the Greek equivalent to Cephas is Peter, which is why we have the book Letters of Peter, right? That's the one that stuck, right? But regardless of that, throughout the New Testament, you'll see that Peter is referred to synonymously or interchangeably as either Peter, Simon Peter, or Cephas, right? Or even just Simon. Um, all of those names mean the same person. Now, Peter, uh, we meet, after we meet him, he becomes a disciple, and he's married, actually. Did you guys know when Peter was married? Uh, that, I don't know why I didn't know that, but it was a surprise to me when I was reading through this. He's married. Jesus healed his mother-in-law when he stayed at their house. He owned a fishing business with his brother Andrew. 
It must have been a pretty successful fishing business because he had a home in Capernaum that was large enough for Jesus and James and John and the other disciples to stay there. So it was a relatively large home. Um, Peter also uh, and the disciples followed Jesus for three years as Jesus uh, traveled and preached the message of salvation and the gospel. Um, he would have been uh, he would have been present. Obviously, he was present when. Uh, Jesus healed his mother-in-law, but he would have also been present as Jesus traveled and healed the disabled and the deformed, as Jesus restored sight to the blind, raising Lazarus from the dead. All of these miracles Peter would have seen and experienced for himself. Now, Peter became kind of the lead disciple over this three-year period, and um, he was the most outspoken of the disciples. And so being the most outspoken of the disciples, he was also a little bit of a, a hothead, if you will. <laughs> he had kind of a, a bold streak. Um, Peter was known for um, maybe being the first one to take action, speaking out in a hasty way or behaving in a hasty way. Um, in fact, one point in time, Peter didn't really like what Jesus was teaching. So he pulls Jesus aside. He's like, hey, come here, come here. That's not the way it goes. Can you imagine? <laughs> That's bold, right? <laughs> So he had this kind of streak that made him um, uh, impulsive and brash at times. Um, Peter's best known, quite, quite famously actually, as denying Jesus three times. And what's interesting about this is this denial of Jesus three times comes only hours after he swore to Jesus himself that he would never deny him. He would never re um, uh, deny him and abandon him. You see, the night before Jesus was crucified, he ate dinner with Jesus, and during this G dinner, Peter vows to never deny Jesus. A few hours later, only a few hours later, after Jesus was arrested, Peter denies Jesus three times. In fact, in typical Peter fashion, he's, he's so passionate about his denial that he actually um, swears an oath to these folks who he doesn't even know very well. He swears that he never knew Jesus um, threefold. When Peter finally comes to his senses and realizes that he's actually denied Jesus. He's completely guilt-ridden. He leaves in shame. What's worse is the next morning, while still having that shame in his heart, he gets to watch his, his rabbi, the Messiah, die on the cross without the opportunity to ever say, I'm sorry. Talk about guilt. Talk about heavy brokenness, right? But that's not where Peter's story ends. See, three days later, Jesus rose from the dead and the tomb was found empty. Jesus later meets with his disciples and with Peter and it's in one of these um, uh, resurrection moments that Peter and Jesus come together and Jesus forgives Peter for denying him and reinstates Peter as one of the lead disciples. And from that moment forward, this is probably one of those moments for Peter, right? He'll never forget it. Because in that moment forward, Peter's life is completely different. It's totally changed. He's still Peter. He's still bold. He's still impulsive. But he's bold and impulsive for a purpose now. You see, Peter returns to be one of the lead disciples and he preaches with power and he gets arrested. And they release him and he goes right back to preaching again and they arrest him again and then they beat him this time and that doesn't stop him. 
He goes straight back to preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. He goes straight back to ministering. And over the next 30 years, Peter ministers with multiple people, with John, with Paul, with Silas, with you, you name it, the whole host of disciples and, and, and uh, uh, you know, believers, early believers that we see in the New Testament. Peter is ministering to them and with them for 30 years as he travels around preaching and healing and teaching forgiveness through Jesus Christ. It's sometime around the year of 62 AD that Peter makes it to Rome. It's believed that Paul was just released from prison in Rome and Peter went there to visit with him and he stays there for some significant period of time. About a year later is when we think he wrote, uh, excuse me, within that year, 62, 63, is when he wrote 1 Peter and shortly after that in 63 is when Peter wrote 2 Peter, right? Now, this isn't a good time to be a Christian in Rome. It's a pretty bad time to be a Christian in Rome. You see, um, Christians are kind of resented, severely resented in the Roman Empire at this time because they will not bow down to Roman gods. They will not take up the values of Roman, of, of Roman values and Roman ethics. They refuse to. In fact, they refuse to instead to worship this Jesus that they claim is God, the Son of God. Right? So this is all against them. The Roman emperor Nero actually believes that the Christians in Rome are a threat to his authority. And, and shortly after this, there's a persecution that comes. Now, Peter, like any good fisherman, can see a storm brewing on the horizon. He sees this persecution coming on the horizon based on the, the abuses and the discriminations that are happening all over the Roman Empire. About a year after this, in 64 AD, there is a massive fire that breaks out in Rome. And it burns for six solid days, destroying 75% of Rome. 75% of the city is destroyed. Now, there's evidence and rumor that Nero himself ordered that the city be burned. Um, in order to combat this and to find a scapegoat, Nero needs someone to blame. So he uses this as an opportunity to persecute the Christians. And he has many Christians, uh, he blames Christians for the fire and turns that, that anger and that resentment and that frustration from all the Roman citizens upon the Christians, has many of them arrested, has many of them tortured, and even executed. Some of the more gruesome things is that he fed Christians to wild animals as entertainment for the city. And then those who didn't get fed to the, to wild animals as entertainment, he actually dipped them in wax and hung them on a pole and burned them alive as, as torches for the city. This is gruesome, real history that happened. See, Peter, Peter didn't know that things were going to go that bad when he wrote these, but he knew things were going to get worse. He knew that struggles and persecutions and sufferings and trials were on their way. And so he writes, first and second Peter, to believers everywhere, us and them, that reminds us of the hope we have in Jesus Christ. Reminds us that in the face of suffering, we need to live different lives. So let's pick up back again here. Um, I think I'm on this right place. <laughs> let's pick up again. Um, no, let's not pick up again yet. I'm skipping over important stuff. He's reminding them when we see this, about who they are. Now, we don't know who they are specifically beyond what Peter wrote about them here. We don't have any record of these churches in these places, uh, who established them and how they became to be. But what we do know about them is that, is that Peter tells us that they are the chosen children of God. 
that they have been made holy by the Holy Spirit and cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. You see, just like my, my grandfather's memories, Peter is telling them who they are. This is their identity as children of God. This is what makes them unique and different in this world and empowers them to live the way that Peter is gonna describe from here forward. So really this is all about Peter describing and teaching who we are and how we are to live differently as children of God. So from there, let's jump into verse three and move, and move forward. Just as a fair warning, we have a lot to cover. And we've just done, a, we just finished a, a series on resilience. And so much of what Peter's gonna talk about in these first um, you know, 12 verses or so is all gonna be very similar to what we've already discovered in this past series. So we have so much to do. We're gonna, we're gonna read through this and only stop briefly to talk about it until we get to, chapter, until we get to verse 12. Beginning in verse three, all praise to God the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. The first reason that we have to be joyful in suffering is that we are born again. That through our faith in Jesus Christ, he has given us new life and raised us to a new condition, right? When Jesus gave his life on the cross, he took our place he died to pay the penalty for my sin and for your sin so that we could be forgiven. And this sacrifice and forgiveness of our, our sins restores us to a right relationship with God. That's the good news of Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. But Peter says it doesn't end there, actually. There's a resurrection. And in that resurrection, the Holy Spirit is given to believers. And we have that new life that comes with that Holy Spirit. In Romans 6, 4, it reminds us that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Through Christ's sacrifice and resurrection, we, we can have new life. When we place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, he becomes our Lord and our Savior and we begin to live new lives as children of God. This is a totally new life, a totally new identity. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that, the old has, that for everyone who was in Christ, the old life is gone and the new life has come. It's a completely different life that we've been given in this. See, we can praise God in our times of suffering and in trials because he has given us a new life. And our new life in Christ is at the heart of our identity as children of God. This new life defines us, it changes us, it changes everything about what we believe, who we are, what we do, all of it. Peter also wants us to know that this new life, this isn't an optional attachment to the gospel, that this new life is the gospel. This new life is our salvation. Okay, let's, let's pick back up again in step, uh, verse uh, four. So now we live with great expectation and we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. And through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive this salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. Be truly glad 
There is wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. Our salvation is a priceless inheritance that is eternal. It cannot be corrupted. It cannot be changed, tarnished, damaged, grow old. It's, it's eternal. It's eternal because God's protection makes it so. God is preserving our salvation. We can be confident and joyful in suffering, not because we enjoy suffering, but because we know God is in control and nothing that happens to us can change anything about where we're headed and what God has done, God has done in our hearts, right? Verse seven. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. Though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong enough, strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. You love him even though you have never seen him. Though you do not see him now, you trust him. And you rejoice with glorious inexpressible joy. The, re the reward for your trusting him will be the salvation of your souls. In addition to our new life, in addition to God's protection of our eternal salvation, Peter also reminds us that those experiences, those trials and those sufferings, they refine us the same way that heat and fire refine gold. Those experiences, God turns them and he uses them for his purpose to make us into the Christ-like children of God we were designed to be. Now, in verses 10 through 12, Peter goes on to remind us that, that this has been God's plan since the very beginning. And that no matter what comes to us, no matter what suffering comes to us or what trials come to us, none of it surprises God at all because he's, he's known about it since the beginning. But because of time, we're going to skip these verses. And it grieves me to skip anything, I'm telling you. <laughs> but we're going to move down to verse 13. And we're going to stay on topic with Peter's discussion about our new life. And Peter's going to continue to teach us about what it means to live a new life in Christ. Moving away from necessarily the assurance that we can be trusting in and moving into how we are made different. How we are in fact made holy as children of God. So verse 13. So prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. Put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. So you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living and satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then, but now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the scriptures say you must be holy because I am holy. So if you're like me, you're reading this, you must be holy command thinking to yourself a little bit like, well, that's impossible. Um, how am I supposed to do that? Um, in these verses, Peter is saying that living a holy life is not only possible, but it also is expected. And in fact, for children of God, it is a must. In three different ways, Peter says three different times 
that holiness, holy behavior, and holy living is a requirement for those of us who are, who are made new through Jesus Christ. This is not an optional thing for us. But perhaps you're like me and you're reading this thinking to yourself, um, this is impossible. How in the world can God expect me to live a holy life? He knows the depth of my corruption. He knows my heart. Like, I, think that, I think this is normal. This is natural for us to think this because we're keenly aware of our brokenness. Are we not? If we're not, then we probably have a little more work to do. <laughs> I'm keenly aware of my problems, of my brokenness. You see, but the Bible, it, it's not unusual for us to say this because the Bible teaches us everywhere that apart from Jesus Christ, we are in fact slaves to our sin. We're enslaved to our sin. However, the Bible also teaches us that God's answer to that slavery of sin is Jesus Christ and the work he did on the cross and in the resurrection. You see, through the sacrifice and resurrection, Jesus has broken the power of sin and death. Holiness is only made possible through Christ and the Holy Spirit in our new life. Now, the literal meaning of the word holy means to be set apart, unique, or entirely different. God is holy because he is the creator. And as the creator, he is utterly different and unlike anything else in his creation. So therefore, he is holy. He is apart, unique, totally different. You see, we are also set apart, holy, for God's purposes in this world. That's, where, that's, that's how we've come to be made. Now, for all those who believe our identity as children of God, it changes who we are. We already read in verse two that it's the Holy Spirit that makes us holy, right? Like any children, we all reflect characteristics of our parents. And as believers, children of our Father God, holiness is a condition he's bestowed upon us. He makes us holy. With this new life and holiness, we are called to follow Jesus Christ's holy example. Living a life without sin is what Jesus did for us. To be born again means that we are truly set free from the power of sin and temptation in our life. Now, uh, Peter's not the only one who taught this, right? Jesus also taught this. Peter is encouraging us to live out of this identity. It's not a call to live up to holy. It's a call to live out of holiness. Peter knows that one of our main threats to our ability to live our new life is our belief, right? Is, it's why he says, with, he begins with our minds, right? He says, prepare your minds. Put all your hope in the gracious salvation of Jesus Christ, right? So he knows that it's in our minds that are gonna cause us to be tempted. In fact, he knows because he's experienced it. Think about Peter's experience. He was so confident in his own will and his own strength, he was sure his passion and his commitment to Jesus was going to prevail and that he would never deny Jesus. But yet, what we also know is that his own strength, when a threat of serious harm when a threat of serious violence came to him, he in fact did deny Jesus. We know he failed Jesus. Now, we also know that after failing Jesus, Peter turned and became a totally new man. 
He knew he was redeemed and he was brought back to that position of lead disciple. And from that point forward, after the resurrection, after the Holy Spirit, Peter becomes a totally new person. And he goes on to preach and to teach. And it's with the Holy Spirit living within Peter that he's able to do this. So he knows this from personal experience. Peter knows that it is only by God's power that we can live holy lives as we follow Jesus and we, live, we love like he calls us to love. Now, Peter wasn't the only one to teach that holiness is possible and even required for believers. Jesus taught this. Paul taught this. John. All of them. Throughout the New Testament, we find, and Old Testament, in fact, we find that God's power in Christ's resurrection and the Holy Spirit give us new life, enabling us to live out of the holiness of God. That's what this whole chapter is about. That's what this whole book is about. Write these verses down. There are multiple verses that I want to run through real quick. The first one is Galatians 5.1. In Galatians 5.1, Paul tells us that it is for freedom that you have been set free. Therefore, do not be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. The yoke of slavery is sin in our life. We're free of it. In John 8, Jesus teaches that everyone who sins is a slave to sin, every single one of us. And then he goes on to say, but when the Son sets you free, speaking of himself, when the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. Free indeed, amen? Indeed. Ezekiel 36, God is telling Ezekiel that he is going to put a new heart into us. He says, I will put a new heart and a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. A new spirit. Sounds a lot like the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, does it not? Romans 6, 6 and 7 says that we know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We no longer, we are no longer slaves to sin for when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. Amen? Amen. This is us. Peter continues. When he, gets to chap- when he gets to the second letter, Peter tells us all over again. In verse one, uh, 2 Peter verse 1, 3, he says, By his divine power, God has given us everything we need to live a godly life. This is us. God's Holy Spirit enables us to live lives that are not marked by slavery to sin and temptation, but rather are marked by Christ-like character. Christ-like character is holiness. That is what we are called to. The question here, and I'm going to warn you this is going to sting, is do we believe it? Do we believe it? Do we believe that we truly are set free from the power of sin in our, in our, and, and temptation in our life? That's the main point Peter's asking. That's the main point he's driving home. Is this truth is God's truth. We gotta move. <laughs> we gotta keep going. I could preach on this all day, sorry. <laughs> Verse 17. And remember that the heavenly Father to whom you pray has no favorites. He will judge or reward you according to what you do. So you must live lives in reverent fear. 
of him during your time here as temporary residents. Now, I'm gonna skip some more here and I'm gonna apologize to the folks running the, the verses that we're skipping this. We're late, I've talked too much, so we're skipping ahead. Um, but I wanna talk just real quickly about this judgment because this judgment is, is important. Um, this judgment is not a judgment that takes into account anything that is eternal for us. That judgment is done. Jesus has already given his life. And in our faith and trust in him, we are already saved. This judgment is not the judgment where you decided whether you go to heaven or hell to be with God or to be separated from God. That's not this judgment. This judgment that Peter is talking about is for believers. And in fact, we will give an account of how we spent our new life. We will give God an account of that. And in that account, he's talking about he will judge or reward us for what we have done. And then he goes on to talk more about the salvation we have in Jesus Christ, right? So in this, you know, um, Romans 8.1 tells us that for all of those who are in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. So we know that that's not, the, that's not the judgment that he's talking about here. We also know from Jesus's own words in, five, in John 5.24, where he says, I tell you the truth, those who listen to my message and believe in God who sent me have eternal life. They, have, they will never be condemned for their sins, but they have already passed from death to life. We've already passed from death to life. And so we're called to live these new holy lives. Let's jump down to uh, verse 22. You were cleansed from your sins when you obeyed the truth. So now you must show sincere love to each other as brothers and sisters. Love each other deeply with all of your heart. Love, right? It's a common thread. <laughs> Not only are we redeemed and given new life and new power, and, and, and in our new life, responsibility to live holy lives comes with it, but we're also given the power to love. We're cleansed by the blood of Jesus in a way that makes it possible to love like Jesus loves. And along with that, comes the responsibility to love like Jesus loves. Now, the word for deeply here, where it says you're to love each other deeply with all your hearts, the English word is pretty soft. It softens the message that's in Greek. You see, the Greek meaning for this word, um, uh, ektenos, um, means to stretch to the furthest limit of a muscle's capacity. This is an athletic term to mean to strive with all of one's energy, to go all out, to reach for the furthest extent of something. That's what it means to love deeply. To go all out, to strive to the furthest extent of our love. So how do we do this? How do we strive to the furthest extent and love like Jesus? Well, we're gonna jump again. It pains me to do so, but we're gonna jump to the first verse in chapter two where uh, Peter describes for us how we are to love. He says, to get rid of all evil behavior. All, get rid of all evil behavior. I'm reading it more than once for us. Be done with all deceit, hypocrisy, jealousy, and all unkind speech. Get rid of all evil behavior. This is how we live lives of love like Jesus. You see, it's the other side of the coin. On the one side of the coin, we are holy, not because we made ourselves holy or we're so great about it and we're holier than everybody else, but because God has made us holy. 
And out of that holiness, we're called to live out of holiness, not up to holiness. And it is in that power that God has given us to live holy lives that we are also called to fight against the sin we have in corruption of our, of our human flesh. The part of that old self that lingers around and hangs around far too long than we want. The part that continues to tempt us. I mean, look at these things, right? Get rid of all evil behavior. And then what comes to his mind? Deceit, hypocrisy, jealousy, unkind speech. All of these things are the things that destroy relationships. That's what these are. All of these things have motives rooted in selfishness, not God's holiness, not Christ's selflessness. Get rid of it, he says. Are you striving in love, stretching to the furthest possible extent to treat other people like God treats you? When God forgave you, do you forgive them? Now remember, forgiveness only comes because somebody sinned against you. There's no reason to forgive them if they haven't hurt you. Are you forgiving, striving to the greatest extent of your love? Like God calls you to, like God enables you to? That's what we're called to do. Now, in conclusion, in closing, and I apologize for going over, I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you the way that Peter wants to encourage the, the people he wrote to. And I want you to be encouraged to remember that it is by God's grace that we have eternal life. And that that eternal life we can be assured of is preserved by his power forever. And no matter what it happens to us, no matter what we do, none of it can alter that. God is in control and it is preserved by his great power. It goes much further than that and mostly what I want to encourage you to do is to go back to those verses that you wrote down. Pray over them. Say, God, have your way in my heart and teach me if I am not living this new life the way you call me to. Teach me and crucify my disbelief that I may not be able to live into your holiness that you've given me. Take to heart those words and begin to fight with all of your strength, love deeply to love those around us like Jesus loved because we have work to do because there are people around us who don't have this hope. There are people around us who don't have this hope and are suffering. There are people around us who don't have this hope, are suffering, don't have eternal salvation and are dying without it. We have work to do. Let's get busy. Pray with me. Father God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your, your love and your mercy and your power and all that you do to make us new, all that you do to save us from ourselves, to save us from sin and temptation and to give us that freedom, the freedom to live love and happy lives. God, we just... Thank you for all that you do in our life. Pray that you would continue to um, lead us, change us, have your way in our hearts, Lord, and forgive me for going over time. We praise you in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us today. 
let me encourage you to download the discussion guide by selecting Watch from the top menu of our website. Working through those questions, on your own or with others, will help the truth of God's Word find its place in your life. Please reach out if you have any questions or want help on your spiritual journey. My email address is on the screen, or you can call the church during the week. Faithful people like you make this ministry possible. People who believe in what God is doing through Dayspring, who have experienced God's work in and through their own lives and been changed in the process. If you're just checking us out today, please know that we don't expect you to give anything to support Dayspring. That is the responsibility of our Dayspringers. We are simply excited to play a small part as God does His perfect work in you today. For those of you who would like to start giving, we have three easy ways for you to get us your gift. Please see the online giving section of our website or text GIVE to the number on your screen or mail a check to us at the address you'll find on our website. And one more thing. Thank you for liking and sharing and following Dayspring on whatever platform you connect with us. Thank you for rating us where that is appropriate. Even more, thank you for sharing our services with your friends and family. God uses you to plant seeds in other people's lives, so keep sowing. And if this service was a blessing to you, it'll probably be a blessing to someone else too. Until we meet again, I am praying that God's richest blessings would overflow in and through your life.